Hey, good day, everybody. We are here with the One in the Hive segment on the True Philadelphian Sportscast. I'm, of course, here with my co-host, Andrew. How are you doing today, Andrew? Doing pretty good, very good. Um, you know, just trying to keep up with all the news coming out in the different leagues and then, uh, you know, just trying to find different things to do throughout these uh, quarantine days. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where... We're all at at this point watching some backlog games, uh, backlog DVR stuff, um, et cetera, et cetera, and watching the replays. Uh, I think we're all kind of at that point. But for our Sixers, though, they, of course, left our season a lot more inconsistent than on our last podcast, the team we talked about, the Flyers. But I think... <clears throat> A perfect thing to start with the Sixers is on the hot topic of Ben Simmons because I just was reading about this recently and on how, because I think this is great to move into the coaching staff, if you think the coaching staff has negatively affected his progression since he has not really developed much of us in a sense past um, just be, being the consistently same type of player he's been since coming into the league? No, I'm not going to put on the coaching staff. I'm going to put it on Ben Simmons. Um, do I love Ben Simmons? Absolutely. Do I think he's a great player? Absolutely. Do I think he has a chance to eventually win an MVP? Absolutely. But I think it's on him. I mean, Brett Brown and the coaching staff literally came out in public and challenged him to shoot at least one three a game for the season, and he refused to do so. And to me, that's a player being stubborn. I mean, what else can a coach do? You can't, I mean, you're not going to bench Ben Simmons for not shooting a three. I mean, I know people have said that before, but that's just unrealistic. And I think that's just honestly, I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, you're taking out your best player for the game just because he won't shoot, but he's doing all the other things. So to answer your question, no, I don't put it on the coaching staff. I put it on Ben Simmons himself. He's clearly, for whatever reason, not comfortable with shooting threes. And I don't know if he's, just trying to play mind games with people or whatnot, but I mean, the, the coaching staff is doing what they can in terms of making him shoot. I mean, they're clearly having him work on it because he's always shooting in practice. He's shooting threes and he's shooting them before games. So I mean, that's all the coaching staff can do is tell him what to do uh, pregame in that sense. But once you're on the floor, I mean, it, it's up to him to shoot it. And I think uh, I'm not gonna. I mean, there's gonna be other things to penalize Brett Brown for, but that's definitely not one. I'm going to put on Brett Brown's shoulders. I, I think because for whatever reason, he did it in college, too. I don't know that coach at LSU, but he didn't shoot threes in college either. If he was out there shooting four or five threes a game at, at LSU, then, yeah, maybe say it's Brett Brown's coaching. But, no, he wasn't doing that at LSU. So I'm putting on Ben Simmons himself. I agree with you on that front. I think that is definitely more on the player than the coach, especially when, as you said, the coach came out publicly and said that he should shoot more on the benching side. The reason I, I agree with you in principle you can't do it, but if we actually had, like most teams, a good two-point guard set, you could somewhat do it. Like, say, for example, we did acquire a D-Rose at the deadline. You could easily bench Ben Simmons if he was pissing you off in a particular game and put in Derrick Rose for an extended clip just to send a message. But the Sixers don't have a guy that they could then put in to send a message. You can't put in Raul Nato for an extended period of time. That doesn't work. So that that that's the issue that I think they also fell into 
in order to really push Ben Simmons, if they even wanted to do that as a coaching staff, they can't. Because you don't have anybody that you can put in for an extended period of time. NATO and then Trey Burke, when he was here, are not good enough for that. So, exactly. No, I could I could play agree with in that sense. In the sense of the guys you have, you won't do. It. But even if Derek Rose, you're not gonna. Maybe maybe you say, all right, we're gonna start Derek Rose for the first. Maybe you do that sense of a benching of kind of like not giving him a start for the day, but. You're not gonna, to me, even if even with a Derek Rose, you're not going to bench him for an entire game, and that's what people were saying is bench him for an entire game. And I just don't think that's something you should do because that's just going to create a mess in house. It's going to create a whole different kind of controversy that you don't want in your system. So I, I think maybe if you had a guy like Derek Rose, you can say, all right, we're going to give Derek Rose a start, or even give Derek Rose the last four minutes of uh, of the game. Even in that sense, where yeah, you have Simmons play most of it, but then you have Rose close it out and kind of do that in that sense. But in terms of a full game, even with the Rose, I would not have done that. No, the full game I do agree with you on. I don't know where um, people got that idea in the first place. That doesn't happen. I was just talking about That's why I said as for an extended clip. I think if you wanted to send a message, if you had a guy like him or just a very solid backup point guard like a Collison equivalent um, or if you somehow convinced him to come back, uh, you would have a decent person to be able to be a playmaker and make plays when Simmons is not in the game where the Sixers just simply don't have that. That's really that's really a, what it's been, especially since Jay Rich has been out more this year, so he never really got into a consistent groove this season when you thought he could be another ball handler or two. I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest problems with this team overall in the season is uh, this team, top to bottom, it hasn't played as many games as you would think together. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest issues they had this season is a lot of injuries at different times and not being able to, to play with the, the full expected team. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think um, to let people stay excited and fester on that topic a little bit, I think a good thing to go on before we move on to either bashing Brett Brown or staying somewhat lenient, we'll see, is on the resumption of the season. As I mentioned to you before that we started our podcast, the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association, announced about a half hour or so ago now, I saw the alert on my phone that they're pushing back their resumption to July, and if you can trust their communist government, uh, apparently their cases have been lessening. Which, now that they're pushing back the season, that makes me think they're lying even more, but we're not going to get into that. So, that makes me think that the NBA season could be at least at July at this point, because if China is telling the truth, they already pushed back to July, and if they were getting better, here we're not really getting better yet. So, we're trying to wait for the full decline, and not just mainly in New York and some states like that yeah i think it's it's tough to say i think um you gotta trust in what the government's doing and kind of get a sense of their read i think yeah you can kind of base it off of what china's doing and yeah they post i mean i think we're gonna be postponed by at least july anyway even without the report um i know mlb is kind of trying to force their way in to a may or june start but i just don't think that's realistic at this point um, especially with having to get back into a few weeks of training to get back in game shape, which the NBA is going to have to do as well. So I think 
even without this China report, I think you were looking at around in July anyway. Um, but I think it, they obviously had it started there before we did, so I think it is a sense of direction where we're going to go with this. And I, I mean, I think uh, you'll be lucky. I, I think the NBA and the NHL are honestly going to be lucky to be able to finish the season, unless if they want to interfere with next season. I think that's the only way you're going to get this season in. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I don't know about you, but on that point, I'm just a lot more optimistic just because I guess of the amount of proposals that were laid out and the players even saying they wouldn't have a lesser offseason in the NHL resumption than I am of the NBA. Because as I said on past podcasts, I think it was a life in quarantine update. As Stephen A. Smith said, Silver's a more positive person in most cases, and he knows the dude, so he would know. He, you can tell from facial expressions, it doesn't necessarily look great. Where the NHL has talked a lot more positive with the deputy commissioner and Batman. Like, I don't know about you, but I just have, I've just had that feeling for a while. It could just be because of the amount of different proposals that were laid out, too. I think that's a big proponent. I mean, yeah, you can, I mean, all of them are going to try to come up with proposals to try to save their season, save their money and everything. So I, I think we got to be careful with how much we take into those proposals because, I mean, they're always working on that kind of stuff. And obviously reporters are going to have to get some type of information. So they're going to do their job and kind of leaking some of that stuff, as you saw with the baseball last week, with, what, two or three different reports on what, what might happen. So I think, uh, I think it's important that we kind of – keep a, a level mind and, and not get too carried away with that just because I think uh, the effect that it's going to play here with how much everyone wants sports back, it's everyone's going to get carried away. And I think you're going to you're gonna continue to see other companies like ESPN and them try to find different stuff to do um, in the time being. And I think it's going to be important for the players to kind of jump on board with some of that stuff. I mean, last Sunday, I don't know if you, you watched it. I didn't watch it live, but I kind of watched some of the highlights yesterday. Um, yeah, it wasn't the greatest feed. I know it got a lot of people ripping on it on Twitter and stuff. But um, then the NBA went went away, went ahead and did that uh, the horse segment on on uh, ESPN uh, Sunday night. So I think again, was it the greatest thing in the world? No, but they're just trying to come up with ideas. And I saw a lot of people ripping on it and bashing it. But I mean, yeah, well, again, it wasn't the greatest footage, but they're just trying to have fun and try to come up with different things for people to watch. So I think it's a good idea in that sense. And but, I mean, it was the first time they tried it, so I would expect improvement from there. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I would say that improvement is probably to be expected as well as time goes on from those videos because it's not something that they've done before. So, But I would say the league, for me, I've just been more positive about the NHL because they already, when on interviews, said, yeah, we could do those ideas where you haven't heard as much of that talk by the NBA. That's just the only reason uh, I felt it where they even said, don't worry about the ice, we'll find a way to make the ice cold if need be in the summer for the NHL, which makes you think they're talking about going into the late summer. So that's why... Um, that made me seem more optimistic just from hinted words and not definite stuff that they've even said. But I'm hoping both come back, and I do think if the NHL comes back, the NBA will also because they'll just probably say, what the hell, why would we not come back at that point also? So I think that also will be helpful towards the NBA coming back. If the NHL is willing to come back that late, why wouldn't they? Because you're not going to be, you're kind of both could be coming back at the same point again next year. It's not like the NHL is going to be coming back before you. 
So no, yeah, I hear that. I agree with that. So that's the that's the thing if you're talking about ratings and competitiveness. But I think now, since we let people um, fester on the topic for a little bit, uh, before we get into our team awards, we'll get into um, Brett Brown and the coaching staff. And I'll just put this over to you first and say. What are your thoughts on Brett Brown and the coaching staff this year compared to the general populace of Philadelphia? And then just your thoughts overall. Um, I, I know I, I disagree with a lot of the, the people on Twitter and stuff. And and I think, uh, again, is some of the blame on him? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I think with the injuries... Given, I don't, I don't think it's fair to blame the season on Brett Brown. I think a lot more than blame is to go on the players. I know if the report of what Jimmy Butler said on JJ Reddick's uh, podcast at one time is true, and he's lost the team in that sense, then yeah, it's going to be time to go for a coaching change. But that's something Elm Brand and the front office has to dive into uh, whenever the off season happens and, and figure out what really happened and whether he has this team or not, and if he, if. If there wasn't that disconnection, as mentioned, I think Brett Brown deserves another season. I don't think it's fair to end it like this and and what this team could have been if they were fully healthy. And, and we saw it when they were fully healthy. This team was almost unstoppable in the beginning of the season, before in the beginning stage of the season when everyone was healthy. And outside of those first that first week or two of the season, you've kind of been dealing with a different injury here or there, a different starter out. Not, not the right bench guy, different bench guys being hurt here and there. And it, it, it's almost similar to the Gabe Kapler situation, in my opinion, in the sense of they never built this team to, to complete it. They built they built a team with a couple players here and there, but never built it to perfection. And, and, and I don't know what anyone thinks a new coach would come in here and really change anything that, that this team has right now. I mean, yeah, if you would have had whatever coach you want to replace Brett Brown, Elton Brown still would have sounded out Al Horford. I mean, Al Horford would still be here. You would still have to deal with the same type of rotation stuff. You bring in a new coach, you're still going to have Raul Nito uh, coming off the bench there. You're still going to have uh, guys like Shake Milton come off the bench. Like A new coach doesn't change what the rotation is. I mean, it might change on how many minutes they get, but then you're just going to raise raise these guys to play in full games if you're going to eliminate the, other, the bench guys. And we saw what happened last year in Game 6 or Game 7 of the, of the playoffs against the Raptors when that happens. And no. that that's Embiid getting tired out and not being the right Embiid in Game Seven. No, yeah, I I agree with um some of uh what you said. I mean, new, yeah, I just think the one side people are looking at too, since a lot more fans, some uh, bandwagon esque that probably never really watched the Flyers that much, paid attention to the Flyers more this year. Where if you look at the staff, you brought in a coaching staff that a lot of people would argue in itself added a decent amount of wins because of the veteran presence of the staff and just how great of coaches that collective group is where people might look at Brett Brown's staff in contrast and say that they're lessening the team's amount of wins. I just think that's kind of the way that people look at it. Well, going off that, and that's something you're going to see. I think you, if he is here, you're going to see a change in the offseason and the assistance he brought in. But, I mean, 
any any good coach is going to have a good assistant. I mean, you look at, I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, Greg Popovich is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, with Phil Jackson. But, I mean, look at their coaching trees. They still have guys develop and, and turn into good coaches, and or at least head coach at some point. Um, and then you, you look at the Sixers' successful years or whatever these past few seasons. The, the first year, the, the playoffs, playoffs for the process year. And then last year, you went over 50 games again and lose on one of the most heartbreaking shots a, a fan can watch. Um, and, and you look at what they had in those coaching staffs, along with the head coach, Will Brown. You had a head coach in Mike D'Antoni, who left for the Rockets. Mm-hmm. And then you had a head coach in uh, Monty Williams. I'm blanking on where he ended up, but he, he was obviously a big role in this this uh, season last year. And they and my, I think Williams kind of left later in the offseason, so he didn't have the chance to replace him with a, a bigger head coach. But, I mean, you, I mean, you look at other coaching staffs and – you can go to LA. Jason Kidd's an assistant. You can go to other coaching staffs. You have, you have those, and I don't think this coaching staff is built like that. So I think that is one change you might see in the offseason if Brett Brown stays. I agree with you. I think that's actually the hugest um, or the biggest uh, reason why, because D'Antoni is a huge offensive mind. Having him, uh, we had one of our better offensive years that year, and then Monty Williams also um, having him as a, another almost that was. Having those two guys is almost like having two veterans in basketball. It's like a Flyers as staff because normally you don't have three former coaches. That's rare in hockey, but having that in basketball, it's very nice to have two guys that are head coaches there as your assistant. And then Monty Williams now, uh, he's down with the uh, Suns as the uh, Suns develop and get better as time goes on. Uh, So, but... I, I, the one thing that I kind of lean towards, though, is if we're bringing back Brett Brown, then go to the Knicks, Elton. Because he, you're, you're the reason, then, that we're giving Brett Brown a second chance. Because you didn't get a good enough team where then they're going to give him another chance because they feel the GM did not give a good enough team to then have the final say on where they feel he is. So if we if we're keeping Brett Brown, then I'm perfectly fine with Elton Brand going to deal with James Dolan because it's his fault then. <laughs> where it, it it's his fault for not getting enough depth. Where that's why I feel it's a slippery road if you keep Brett Brown because everything's going to get pushed immediately. People are still going to blame Brett Brown, but the people are then going to push it immediately to Brand because they're going to say, well, the only reason we kept Brett Brown is because this idiot couldn't get enough depth people. So that's kind of where it's going to go, and that's why I feel it's better to just cut your losses at this point and get rid of Brett, but I don't think that just for that reason. I just feel he's limited other than with former head coaches. As his assistant, he's kind of limited as a head coach without fellow experienced members um, by his side that are former head coaches. That That's just the opinion I've been getting. I don't think he's the best at connecting with everybody. I think he's the best with connecting to certain players, too. So I think that's why he needs the perfect staff, kind of. So I feel like it's better to just move on because I feel like he's kind of one of those coaches that can get you there, but he can't get you over the hump. And if we're using an old example, almost like how Doug Collins couldn't get the Bulls over the hump, they get Phil Jackson and voila. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. I just, I, again, I, I think, and the, the one thing I can't figure out, and I never will unless I ever get to actually talk to a, a true head coach or any of these players, but we all know that's probably not going to happen unless if you get like a meet and greet or something like that. But the one thing um, I can't figure out is, and I, because I don't want to place the blame on anyone because, again, I don't know what it is, but the difference in the home and road record and the way this team plays. I don't know if that's... I would think it's more on the players because, I mean, Brett Browns has been coaching the team the same way. But I don't know what wakes him up and what doesn't wake him up. But, but, but again, I don't want to put the blame on one side because I don't know which side it is. Because, I mean, it's pretty absurd to see a 29-2 and record at home and then a 10-24 and record on the road. Yeah, well, the reason I think it's actually coaching is because we've seen a few leaked reports now about how almost pointless some Sixers media set, not media sessions, um, video sessions, or where it's almost going through the motions where you almost don't even need to be there because you're just going over the most basic stuff, where that kind of works at home. Because at home, everyone's comfortable, they're in their own element, they're in their environment, and they thrive off of the crowd. On the yeah, that's what you're. That's what you're gonna do. Or, oh, gonna yeah. Practice before a game. Oh, 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 no! But I'm talking about like some of those reports were about just video sessions in general, where you can't conduct video sessions the same if we were doing this. Obviously, uh, nothing's known for sure. But even off of some of what, like even Butler and other people have stuff that's been leaked. If we don't really talk about the nit and grit of the game in our video sessions that much, that's probably why part of a big contributing reason why we suck on the road. Because you need to talk about the nits and grits of the game more when you're going on the road than you do at home, because at home you're just naturally more comfortable. That's just the way that it should work and usually does work. On the road, you should be talking about different elements of how different things can affect you, one, within the game, and two, if it's one of the loudest places in the sport, um, outside of the game as well. Yeah, no, no, I, I hear you again, and I just I don't know which side it, it falls on the most, and and that's why in this case I'm not gonna put blame on anyone else, and, and I, it's just it's a weird, it's just weird to see because me think about it, if you just pick seven, just because that makes the halfway mark, you add seven wins to the Sixers team, you have 46 wins, and you're sitting in second place in the conference, like that's, and we, me and you both know that there's some of those losses on the road or teams you should beat so you could probably should be able to throw back five to seven wins and even if you throw back five you're looking at third place and and again i mean we know that home home the home court for this team can make all the difference in winning a championship and whatnot yeah and, and that's why i just i don't know who, whose fault it is and and that's something i again i'm not going to put the blame in until i i can i know whose fault it is yeah, I can see that. The only reason I could see it being the coaching staff is if those reports are true about the lack of going through the nits and grits of the game in video sessions. I think that really plays on the road. So that's why I would push it a little bit more on the coaching staff. But like I said, if those reports are true. But to move more into a positive realm of things, I think now would be a good time to go into our team awards and I think 
a first good one to start with would be who we think as of this year the team MVP would be at this point. Honestly, when I was looking at this, looking this over last night and, and trying to figure out, figure figure out, figure out what uh, what I wanted to do for this award, I was torn. I went back and forth between um, three guys. I know a lot of people didn't disagree with me on this one, but because uh, he gets a lot of a lot of hate that I don't understand. But Tobias Harris, I I think um, I'm not he's not my winner, but I think he's someone that should definitely be recognized. I, I think. Uh, I, I'm I'm very tempted to even even change it, make him my winner because uh, again he he scores the second most on the team behind Embiid. He goes out there, he, he hasn't missed the game of the season. He, he's been out there every day, every game of the, every game of the season, which is not heard of for Sixers players because we all get hurt. Um, he averages just around seven rebounds, just just about three assists, so he does it all. His defense is much improved than it was last year. Yeah, he shoots 47% from the field, 36 from three, and 80 from the felon, which is some of the best numbers on the team. So I was very tempted to go with Harris, but um, in the end, I uh, I went with Simmons because uh, I'm going to go with Simmons because I think he's the he's the best uh, overall player in terms of he'll score. He gets over 16 a game, gets about eight rebounds, eight assists, and then uh, definitely his defensive numbers is what gave him the edge as a true MVP over the rest. So I'm gonna go Simmons, Harris, and Bead in my in my top three. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think what could hurt hurt excuse me hurt Toby a little bit is his usage. If people, that could be why. Obviously, people don't pay attention to his actual usage percentage. But when in the game, if you don't see him being utilized as much, you could make that perception that he's less effective. Where because his usage percentage is in the low twenties, but that might make it. That should actually make it more impressive that he has almost twenty points per game and six rebounds and three assists. His usage percentage almost reminds you of Igadala esque, where it's like you kind of use him when needed, but he provides when you need to use him. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense, and I uh, the usage rate. Yeah, it's. That's a fair point, but I think that the role he stepped up in, given Simmons and Embiid being out, a lot of the these uh, <clears throat> last few games, few games before the suspension of the season, he 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 rose to the challenge and really played very well. You know? And I think even with his usage rate going up in those games when he had, when they had to use him more, I think uh, he just did a phenomenal job and and. I think he helped keep the Sixers afloat at times. And again, I think even with when those guys are missing and he was really the best one out there, I think uh, I think he rose to the occasion. And I, I got to give him credit for it. And I was – and yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a big Harris fan, so maybe – yeah, call me biased if you want, but that's just my belief. Yeah. No, I think it was solid to put him in there. I think looking at the stats more closely – um, he definitely did a little bit better than I thought this season because I thought he was a little bit more inconsistent than the stats showed, and that probably had to do with what I brought up, just his amount of usage. You don't see him as much as you see Embiid um, take over the game, and then Simmons uh, when he wants to be aggressive enough and not pass the ball backwards. Um, but for me, it was close with Embiid and Simmons 
where what I just said kind of gave it away a little bit. But I, I, I would lean a little bit towards Embiid just because the only time Embiid ever truly pisses me off at times is at the end of games when he shoots an absolutely ridiculous shot at times because he feels that he has to be the ending person sometimes, which is the dumbest thing. But he doesn't do that as much anymore. So that where Simmons... For me, the reason I don't put him as the MVP is he still shows me too much restraint. Like, could start driving and then pass it back, and I'll be like, Ben, you're huge. Just drive the damn ball. When, yeah, I, I don't a even, lot of his times when he passes the ball, it's the better basketball play. That's what it makes his IQ so good. And I think that's Yeah, but it's not that, the better uh, basketball player on a team that doesn't have good shooting. Like, that's the... Like, that's the like on most teams, I would agree with you, but, but with the Sixers... We don't have any consistent shooting on this year's team. That's why the most consistent guy you had in some games was honestly before we acquired a couple people, Furcon, <laughs> which is not a good thing. Where that's why. That's another argument, but Furcon didn't even have a bad year. He shot basically 40% from three. And we'll get into my, my love for Furcon in, in a little bit, but I mean, he was. Uh, a reliable three-point shooter for the most part of the season, especially at home. And it's kind of like a, a sense of a Carter Hart kind of type numbers and his numbers home no way. Oh, yeah, but he's still not supposed to be your go-to top shooter. That's kind of my point I was trying to get at, where some of those times when we're passing it out to some of our backups, like even like we passed it out a couple of times before the season and to guys like Robinson, who just never really got into a groove here, Burks missed a lot of shots since coming in. Um, once you see well, stuff... We're both shooting over 40% though, at the, when we traded. Oh, yeah, I so. realize that. But I'm just saying, once you see stuff not working, I feel like there's certain games that I watch that Ben still just drives and kicks it out, even though we're not shooting well that game. And even though you're not great at foul shots, you have been getting a little bit better as time goes on. I would rather see you drive and go to the foul line because that's my second point of why I'm picking Embiid as the MVP over Simmons because that's another way you improve your game. If you keep driving and going to the foul line, you're going to keep getting better at foul shots and you're just keep going to get stronger in your game because we saw Ben Simmons be solid when we even put him at the four down low using his body. And that's why it pisses me off sometimes when he doesn't drive and kicks it out to guys that are just not shooting well that game. It's almost like kicking it out. Like, it reminds me of, like, games when people, like, obviously this is a terrible team, but, like, when J.R. Smith wasn't shooting good and people in the Knicks would still be passing it to J.R. Smith. It's like, well, he's not going to start making it. He's When he's inconsistent, he sucks. So, like, that's why I pick Embiid because Embiid to me was just kind of the, when he was in there, was the model of uh, more consistent scoring when he was actually healthy and realistically, actually, when going, had a pretty solid um, three-point percentage when he was able to actually square it up and knock it down because he was in the mid-30s, plus he had a very high uh, field goal percentage for a center that shoots at almost 48 for a guy that shoots all over the place rather than just um, obviously down low like most centers. So... That any average is a double double, so that the, that that helps. Where I would give it to Embiid, just because for me, he's also one of the most exciting players when he's at his best in basketball, and I think that also helps with the MVP. Man, no, I, I hear you. I just think um, 
I think in a way it's just different to uh, to analyze that in the sense of uh, different types of uh, things that happened. And um, I don't know. I, I think it's a tough call to uh, say where it's going in that sense. But I think overall, uh that better here. Yeah. Yeah, I could see. Uh, yeah, it's it's a close one. It's just I don't I can't put a guy as an MVP that still shows restraint for me. MB doesn't show as really any restraint for me. Well, that's why I pick him as an MVP. Talking about a guy that doesn't listen to a coaching staff, you're not my MVP. Yeah, well, MB does that too with the three-pointers he shoots. I understand that, but like I said, he does have 34%, and we don't have anyone else that's shooting any ball, any threes with consistency this year. I think that's why he's been shooting more from the three-point line, too. He feels he has to do it more, and he's still a player that's trying to grow as well. So they both have their hitches in their game. But I feel like if we did get a more veteran coach, Embiid will be the easier to coach along because Ben just seems reluctant to do certain things as well. That's the other side of it. But I think now moving to the other side of the ball for our next award, uh, we could go to who is the top defensive player on the team for you this year as your defensive player of the year for the Sixers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go the same guy. I'm going Ben Simmons. Uh, 2.1 steals per game. I uh, love the NBA in steals uh, over on the league. And uh, averaged uh, about, uh, averaged, I think over over a block game as well, close to it. So he was also good on that sense of blocking shots as well, and a great defensive rebounder as well. So I'm going Ben Simmons here. I think uh, his ability to steal and block shots is what carries him over Embiid, who's just more of a block shot. Don't get me wrong, fantastic block shot or great shot blocker. But I think uh, Simmons' ability to do both well, and, and leading the league in steals gives him the edge. Yeah. Uh, on this one, again, it was closed, but on this one, th- this is the side of the ball that Ben really doesn't piss me off on, very rarely does he. So, yeah, I will give the defensive <laughs> pl- player of the year to uh, ben-, ben Simmons. So, yeah, I-, I agree I agree with you on that one because he's a lot more surefire and actually tends to seem like he grows and listens to more coaching on that end of the ball just from eyeballing it. Exactly. And I think it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal job by him on defense this year. And in a spot that probably needed a little improvement, he clearly went out and got faster, and I think that extra quickness is really what helped him. Yeah, that's true. Now, this is probably a toughie for the Sixers, uh, but... On our team also could be guys that came from another team from last year, but who would you consider the most improved player? I'm going for Con Corkmas, and that's what I kind of foreshadowed me bringing him back up. The tremendous job shooting the ball this year. Uh, I'd like to see his ability to shoot, I'd like to see his foul shots improve, but defense clearly got faster. Um, the, the, uh, Probably not where he wants to be yet, but in terms of the last couple of years, where he just looked completely lost to be out there on defense, looking like no idea, had no business go out there because everyone was quicker than him, just drive by him. Uh, I got to give it to Furcon for what he did this offseason and really went in the offseason, played in that summer summer league uh, in the um, 
in the uh, I forget what they they call it, but the National League against uh, all the the national teams out there, and it clearly paid paid a lot of dividend dividends for him. And again, forty three point forty three point two shooter percentage shooter overall, thirty nine point seven from from deep, and averaged basically close to ten points a game at nine point seven. So I got to give it to Furcon. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Uh, I think it's Furkan as the most improved. I was hoping it would kind of come down to two people with this award, where it would be Milton and Furkan, but Shake was just not able to stay healthy enough this year and get into a groove to be able to be put into this uh, conversation. So I I think that it, it's also Corkmans because I feel like he's really honestly the only guy you can really look at and say, He's been a improved, like a most improved player candidate. Because who else on the Sixers are you going to take for that, <laughs> other than guys that maybe just traded for? But you can't really. I don't want to pick guys we just traded for. They haven't even been on the team all year. No, I agree with you. And I think next year it's going to be fun to fun to talk about the improvement of Matisse Thybul. I'm really really excited to see what a full off season does for that guy. Yeah, no, he's the yeah he's the big one, and then if Shake can come back and stay healthy, since he should be a solid shooter because he's averaged around the ten points in like only half of Furcon's game, and like mid forties three percentage, he's a guy that could be a candidate for most improved if we decide to keep him around too, which I assume we will because he's a guy on the cheap that's a good shooter. So yeah. No, I agree with you. And you know, I'm a big Shake fan, and I, I think what he's going to be able to do when he finally stays healthy. And everyone's talking about uh, maybe he could be the the sneaky pick in the playoffs if we need our shooter off the bench because how well he started shooting. But like we said earlier, just another injury that kind of hit us, and, and it was very unfortunate. Yeah, no, that's totally true. And I think now it's a good time to move on to our last award, which is Rookie of the Year, and of course with the Sixers you have a lack of people to pick from on this award, but <laughs> um, who would be the uh, Rookie of the Year for you with the Sixers? I mean, I think, don't get me wrong, he had a good year, but I was thinking because of the process of elimination, I think it has to be Matisse Thybul. Not many more, not, not many more options. Um, tremendous job on defensive end, leads a lot of defensive uh, defensive uh, Defensive leader in like steals and stuff like that, so I think uh, he kind of did it all. I want to see his ability to shoot that three ball improve a little bit because they are going to are going to rely on him. But um, yeah, I think Matisse Thybul. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it has to be a uh, Thybul because if we're looking on Sixers roster, Zaire Smith didn't even play, so can't put him in. Can't put him there. Mariel Shayok played, I think, a total of about six minutes all season. So, um, like you don't you don't have you don't have other people that you can even put up for this award. But I also want to say at the same time, Matisse is having a very solid season, like you pointed out, as a rookie defensively, and he showed signs early on offensively. Um, but he just never really fully grasped it. But I think in an off season that'll really help him on the offensive end. But he has to be the rookie of the year. Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. I uh, I do think um, I do think eventually from this draft class, um, he didn't get much of a shot. But 
Shayok from Iowa State is, can be a very good player. I'm excited to see development from the G League and in the offseason. I'm excited what he has to offer because Matt told you, and I put it on Twitter, I think, too, I, he's a sleeper in that draft. I really like Shayok, and he, remind, he, he reminds me of a couple of guys, but he, he has the body to be really good. He, he can shoot pretty well. Um, so I look out for Shayok to be a nice second-round sleeper, just like Shake Milton. Yeah, and he also, the big key point out there is the body. He has knock on wood, but it seems like the body of someone that should be able to be more durable than a shake mill. Yeah, I, I agree, especially with, yeah, with the body. I mean, he's a, he's, just a, he's a big guy that he's 6'5 and close to 200, so add muscle this offseason. I mean, he's going to be in really good game shape. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And then also on our next Sixers podcast, which will either be sometime at the end of the week or on the weekend or the start of next week, we are going to pick our MVPs and the top awards for around the league as well. And just as we're doing for the Flyers, we're going to do starting in 96 uh, from our lifetime, our best um, favorite Sixers players, best bracket and um, go over those, and then we'll have you guys vote uh, when we tweet out different things after uh, we do the podcast to see if you agree with us, who you agree with, or if you think that even comment saying, oh, someone else should have been there or whatever. But that's what we'll be doing in the coming podcast. As for uh, this one, Andrew, I don't know if you had any wrap-up points you wanted to lay out. No, I think we have everything pretty spot on. Um, hopefully the season gets back in action soon, and we can see what this team does does in a playoff series. And I mean, anything can happen, and there's kind of stuff, especially with this team. I mean, you win one, steal one on the road, and then you win three at home, and you're looking good. Yeah, yeah, I would say my wrap-up point would be a layoff compared to it hurting, um, stopping not the Flyers in a success, they were stopping the Sixers in really an inconsistency, so it could actually really help them since Simmons obviously is not going to, well, he shouldn't have a bad back. Otherwise, you better have a good excuse for having a bad back uh, by the time we get back because you shouldn't be doing a damn thing right now. So, the, so he should be healthy, and then Embiid with this rest, uh, that let alone just helping this year, might honestly just help his career track because he's a guy that obviously um, needs to work better on being able to stay healthy himself. And hopefully the concern with him is he's just using his time wisely now because sometimes he does get out of shape a little bit. No offense to him, but it's true. Yeah, no, I get that. But that's something he definitely needs to do is stay in that shape. Yeah. That's the only thing I wanted to say as wrap-up points, though. We appreciate everybody for listening. Please stay tuned for future episodes coming out later this week. Have a great and pleasant day, everybody. Stay safe, and also remember to still exercise. Just stay solo and enjoy yourselves and find stuff to do in quarantine. Stay safe and healthy and positive, everybody. Have a great day. Peace out.